And he crosses midfield, he crossed the 40, and the 30, the 25, the 20, the 15, the 10. Hoffman's across the 5. Hoffman scoring for the Red Sea! Ever since Jack was diagnosed with a brain tumor in 2011, I have wanted to document his journey with a book. I wrote this book to share our journey with you, not knowing that a few months later, I too would be diagnosed with brain cancer. My goal with this book, titled Yards After Contact, is to help others' families shine a light on the disease itself. Child brain cancer is grossly underfunded. Our passion as a family for almost a decade has been to make this disease a priority research through the Team Jack Foundation. Even though we are now facing another fight, we won't stop fighting for kids with brain cancer. I'm excited to announce that the book is available by pre-order today. Place your order at teamjackfoundation.org, where 100% of the net proceeds will benefit children with brain cancer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. I know I speak for the entire Redcast and giving our condolences to the family of Andy Hoffman and everyone over at Team Jack. Uh, we're all just heartbroken at the news of Andy's passing, and you're all in our thoughts and prayers. Uh, I think a great tribute all Redcasters could do would be to go to teamjackfoundation.org and purchase Andy's book, Yards After Contact, uh, whereas Andy said in the intro, 100% of the net proceeds will go to supporting children with brain cancer. Yeah, it's uh, well said, Honk, and you know maybe we'll skip the typical uh, round robin I am with Boomer and Mac, but um, uh, that was really tough news just last night, in, in fact, I believe, uh, on uh, the passing of Andy Hoffman. Uh, Boomer, you know, I mean, you big fan of the um, Broken Chair Trophy uh, that has a connection with Team Jack. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, Honky summed it up well for all of us. It's just awful news, just how much can one family go through, you know, one after another. But, uh, you know, Andy always seemed to do the best he could with it and made a huge difference. And, you know, we're not a huge podcast or anything, but we try, you know, our best and make our donations and, you know, try to encourage people to do the same. And, you know, the $5 bits of broken chair, that's one of the best things about it, too, is that it works for raising awareness and money for Team Jack and the Minnesota Children's, you know, hospitals. So encourage anyone who can just to, to do what they can for these sorts of charities. Yep. Mac? You know, I think in times like this, it's important to look at uh... – at the legacy of somebody like this and, and, and try to really focus on the impact he made on, on the, the people he loved and those around him and really making the world a better place. He put his efforts towards helping other children and, and helping fight this horrible disease. And, you know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear how it went down, but, um, you know, you can take a lot of, there's, there's a lot to be learned from how he, he went about his day to day life, but it's, it's super sad news. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, we probably all know someone who's been affected by cancer in some way or another, and um, our hearts uh, go out to uh, the family, and um, uh, hopefully everyone stays healthy in, in the Hoffman family going forward. And now, Nebraska ball. 
All right, guys. Well, uh, it's Nebraska ball, and uh, it's starting to feel like the 90s out there, Honky. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I know you've just been so faithful with this team. You've never doubted that they were going to turn a corner. Um, uh, You like so many players on this team. You really think that they've got so much potential and talent. Um, and, uh, your, um, your vision is being rewarded and Fred Horberg's vision is being rewarded with a couple of victories here late in the season. Um, since our last show, they beat Minnesota, uh, and then, uh, just last night, uh, curb stomped. I mean, they, they romped over, uh, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Uh, so honky, um, your, your thoughts on how, um, Horberg's system is now starting to play out. Well, just make every three like we did last night, and that's a good start, you know. But, I mean, it's not just making threes. It's There's a ton of assist, and, you know, when you have a volume shooter and now he's not there and other guys are, are stepping up into some positions, I we just looked better. I, I, it's, I don't know. I don't know basketball well enough from an X's and O's standpoint, but we just – it looks better. If you want to talk system, that system looks better – when it's the ball's moving around and not just going into one guy and having one guy, even when he can put up 41 in a game, it's amazing to see us putting up the amount of points we are without him on the court. And I, I know that comes off negative towards Allen. I'm not, I'm not trying to be that way. I don't know what it is. I mean, he put up 41 points in a game, and then all of a sudden his minutes went from 38 to 20 to 10, and then we've won two straight games without him on the court. And so – I don't know. He did so much good on the court at times, but then, you know, without him, I think we look better. Yeah. I mean, it is a challenging conversation, Hockey. I understand. And we may not see 100% eye to eye on this, but um, mm-hmm. it it's hard to dismiss the fact that, um, you know, Teddy Allen announces on, on Monday morning that he's no longer going to be with the program. Uh, seemed to be very mutual parting of ways. Odd timing with only three or four games left in particular, averaging Mm -hmm. 16 and a half points a game. Um, But, you know, Boomer, Teddy did, to Hockey's point, uh, you know, take a lot of shots and some bad shots. And that's what, uh, you know, Hoiberg had mentioned it it got him off the court the last couple of games. But I don't think it's as simple as saying that it was one player that uh, has made made these changes. your thoughts on kind of the last few games of Husker basketball? Well, it's been nice to see, you know, obviously wins, but again, a team that just has played so many games and had so much go on with them, just not quit, not give up, still fighting, and really looked like they were having fun out there finally in a game. I mean, granted, it's hard not to when you're, you know, curb stomping somebody by a 30-some, and Thanks again, Rutgers. Here, you're always good for that. For for whatever ails in Nebraska sport, you're there for us. So we'd like to. <laughs> Can we play Rutgers again, please? You know how the whole team meshed with Allen in there. It's that's that's tough to say. I mean, he was a guy that we wanted to try to score a lot and get the ball to, but he might have disrupted the the flow a bit. I don't know, and it's hard to say. Does his immediate leave just have make that big of a difference with this that happened months ago? I yeah, mean, yeah. Not been starting or playing many games. I don't know. It's difficult to say at this point. Yeah, I don't want to jump onto that kind of train. I, I That's not even where I'm, I'm going with it. I would say it isn't just one player, though. You look at that starting lineup, you don't see Banton in there. Now, Banton still played 24 minutes. But that team came out firing with Webster, McGowan, Thor, Walker, and Mayan. And, you know, Mayan obviously, he's hitting his threes. That's a big deal. But Walker, I said it. Weeks ago, I think he's the best passer on the team, and I, I stick with that. I, or Thor is one of the two. But, again, we got a lot of assists. 
that's something that is a, a, a key takeaway. Walker definitely brings an inside game that uh, we wouldn't get with Yvonne, who you know was playing a lot early in the season, right? Well, he didn't play last night either. Again, this is more than just one guy. And I guess I will take a, a positive away from this is it feels like maybe we made some progress on what this team is going to look like going into next season. Dave, you brought up Oklahoma State as a as an example a year ago of a team maybe we could try to model off this year, which was a team that struggled quite a while into the season and then kind of got their legs under them at the end of it. And then they add a five-star over the offseason and boom, you know, the next season they're a top 25 team. It, and the thing with Nebraska was, can we finally start getting it going? Well, if we are, and we'll find out in a couple of nights, we're playing at Iowa. If we play Iowa for 35 minutes and it's a good game and things look clean again, kind of like last night, even if we don't win it, I think we could go, wow, we finished the season, we're finishing it really strong, and we kind of know who those six, seven core guys are. You add five-star Bryce McGowan's in and you know a couple other dudes, and next season, we're ready to take off. You know, that's it. Boom. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying, Honk. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, just to, to step back a little bit uh, in retrospect of how this team has progressed over the last couple of months. I mean, let's keep in mind they've they played 12 games over the last 24 days, uh, which is pretty extraordinary, and, mm-hmm. and they won the last two there. But, uh, you know, Mac, you've, you've seen this team play in person a couple different times, which is more than most people can say. And, you know, did you see Lat May and miss some open three-point shots at some point during this season? Sure. Yeah, quite a few. You know, I mean, I've seen I've seen this all miss shots open or not. You know. A lot of shots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. And and uh, we um, not have Derek Walker for the first what fourteen or fifteen games this year, and then we had a COVID break that 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 he also had COVID, and then it, it's taken him many games to kind of get into playing shape. Yeah, well, the, I mean that, that's kind of happened too, right? And there's been a lot of factors here that have kept this team back. And so I, I really think that, honestly, I think that Teddy Allen's departure is more a, a outcome of this team um, starting to finally uh, figure out how to play in the Hoiberg system and not um, needing Teddy to, to take so many shots and to hold on to the ball too much, right? Yeah, I'd use Hoiberg's own words after Illinois, where he was lamenting their mindless, careless turnovers. Uh, and you finished with 17 in that game. And his words after the game were, was a guy would drive into a pile and I take him out for it. And then I put the next guy in and he'd do the same damn thing. You know, at some point there are all the factors you talked about there with just trying to get the right personnel on the court and you have COVID issues and we had Walker not there. All those things, you're trying to get the the core guys by the end of the year, the, the core six, seven guys that are going to be really important to go into the offseason with. But there was the other parts of the, the season that were just completely mind-boggling, which were the amount of turnovers that we would have, free throw shooting, uh, the lack of effort sometimes against offensive rebounds on the the opponent side. Well, that yep. seems to be getting corrected here. You know, I, I saw more loose balls that we got against Rutgers. I mean, Thor, to me, Thor is like a, the glue guy. And he's almost a divisive guy depending on who I talk to. People are either like, yeah, I like him, or there are some people that were like, oh, man, yeah, I, he wasn't the big recruit or whatever. He's you know not this great talent. I'm like, I don't care. He is a glue guy. We play better when he's on the court. He just does the little things. He gets the assist. He gets the steal. He misses that one three-pointer, I think, the other night, and he knocks the ball uh, on a rebound. He knocks it back to another player you know, so he keeps the possession going. He just does all those little things. 
And I love having that guy there. What, was he doing all his little things earlier this year? Well, he wasn't playing as much earlier this year at times. When he was on the court, was he doing those things? Yeah, I, I always thought that he was more of that than what we had with some of the other players that were playing. Let's put it that way. He was struggling earlier this year. He was not as as effective in his role this year that he was in previous years, including last year. But his role has changed. I mean, coming out and being a starter and being on the court right away, look, I think that we looked better immediately with him. Now you throw him in for three minutes here in one game, and then one game he plays 12, and the next game he plays six. That That's a hard role to get into, too. So I think we have found something with these five guys to start the game that they should be starting next game. They should be starting against Northwestern. They should be starting however far we go in the And that would be it, though, because we will not have – we presume that we do not have Thor or Webster next year. Yeah, do we know? I mean, we know that Walker, I know Hoiberg said Walker was going to come back. He said that after last night's game. Is Webster and Thor, right. just to kind of get that out and clear, is it clear that they are not back? My understanding is they're allowed to come back, but it does not seem like they have indicated to Fred that they want to come back. Yeah, they can come back. They definitely could. I, I think Webster's academic career is going to take him probably a different route. I don't know so much about Thor. Hmm. Um, you know, one thing I do think of this, this light, latest run that the Husker basketball team has done is, you know, everybody knew the excuses as to why we weren't playing well. You know, he had the COVID outbreak and Walker had a suspension that he had to serve. And, you know, we're, we, we got a brand new team out there and those are all well and good, but I've heard excuses forever for this, for this team, not just Hoiberg's teams, but many Nebraska basketball sure. teams. So it's nice to see towards the end of this year the system showing up and working well and these players competing with not just the lower rung of the Big Ten, but, I mean, it also doesn't make the game against Illinois a fluke, the home game where we took them to overtime. That's not fluky now because of the way we've played going towards the end of the season. It gives you hope going forward about how we can we can match up with other teams. Uh, it did hurt us a lot, and you can say that for sure now, Walker being suspended those first games. And the, oh, yeah. and the COVID outbreak was, was horrendous right when we were starting to get going. And, you know, I know you guys are being nice about Teddy Allen, but, I mean, dude, he did not <laughs> – we had a lot of guys watching Teddy Allen play when he was on the court. And now we have a lot of guys playing basketball on the court at the same time. And it's it's a better suit for what, what Hoiberg had to do. Maybe he was a transition guy to get us there. But there's, it's not even really that close to how much better we play now than when you have an isolation yeah, I don't, guy I don't trying to shoot. I don't think if if we were missing Teddy Allen ten games ago, Mac, I don't think we would be playing this well, right? It, it's a culmination of things, I guess, was my point possibly there, right. Yeah, y- so you're only right, because now we yeah. can extract Teddy Allen from the equation because other guys are starting to play better. We started to see this games ago, right? I mean, I I mentioned in a text, Honky was saying something slightly snarky in the text. And I'm like, actually, I think these guys are getting closer and closer every game to playing closer within Hoiberg's system. And we've seen that in the last couple of games. Save one. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, and it, it, if they weren't doing that as a team, they wouldn't have been able to extract Teddy Allen from the equation and do what they did last night versus Rutgers. Right. I mean, it wasn't Teddy Allen who uh, inserted himself in the starting lineup uh, for 21 21 no, games true. this year, right? Or you right? So it's very and true. and yeah. we've seen Teddy Allen out of the lineup against Minnesota earlier this year about 10 games ago. He was suspended for a game. And what did what did the offense look like? Did it look anything like it was the last two games? Sure didn't. It 
<laughs> right? I mean, I, I, to, to defend Teddy Allen, I will, I will say that he was not a fit for the system. That's understandable. Um, uh, he is a, a volume shooter. I, I, um, also, uh, when I, when I heard that he, he was leaving the program, I'm like, I think the guy should go play in, in Europe. That's where he, it makes sense. I was reading a Tom Chattel article, um, this morning and he had interviewed, I think it was Chattel, and he interviewed, um, Eric Piakowski. And Piakowski's like, Teddy Allen should go to Europe. That he's made for the European professional uh, system, and I completely agree with that. I mean, he will go there and and live there for twelve years, as long as he stays out of trouble, and 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 make a good living playing professional yeah. basketball. That's my opinion, and Sounds uh, awesome. that's what he wanted yeah. to do. That's what You'll he take wanted the to Chuck achieve. Jura route, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking about the one guy, and I, to be quite honest, I think it's about more than just him, and uh, that's why I brought up the other players too. And the changes, and I, I feel like we've ended the season here with a a better feel for what our lineup will look like going into the off season. You know, Andre certainly by the end of the year he is taking over. I think a role that uh, Yvonne had at the beginning of the year at the very least. You know, we're transitioning a few players around. You can kind of feel and and I get a sense of what those five, six, seven guys are going to be going into the off season. Yeah, Thor's the the one guy I. Sure would like to see him come back, but boy, he's been. Have you seen how many guys he's played with at Nebraska? You want to talk about cons- 43. Oh my God. So there's a, yeah, it's just crazy. You know, he hasn't had any of that consistency. And um, that's one of the reasons why I almost would like to see him come back is like if he, if he could leave here on a, on a high note where he actually has kind of a, a core group of guys that he's now been playing with and, and can finish off, that would be great. But who knows? Um, I'll tell you what, John Beeline's very high on Nebraska. He, he said they have virtually everybody back. They have a great recruits coming in. Next year will be a different deal. They're going to have a very different team as far as their experience and knowledge of what it takes to win. So, you know, that's the former Michigan coach there, and he's been pretty high on Nebraska. And we did move up to 92 in the Ken Palm rankings. We're 121 and 122 in the net rankings following the, the win over record. So Look at that. We're on the way up. That's great. That's great. All right. Well, um, we'll see if we uh, can uh... – surprise Iowa a little bit here um, this week, as well as finishing off uh, against Northwestern, which I think seems like a, a, a very plausible um, fourth conference uh, victory. So we'll see. And then, then we have the Big Ten tournament to look forward to. So, Give us your prediction, Dave, for the Iowa game. I s- say we probably lose by 11 or 12, something like that. Okay. It's a completely different setup. I mean, I, I listened to a, a few – few folks talk about you know the Rutgers victory and and then thinking for the Iowa it's like yeah we're gonna give Iowa a real challenge well Rutgers is a horrible one of the worst shooting teams in the Big Ten they're actually worse at three-point shooting than us and so when we were able to get them to start taking threes early in the game and they miss a whole bunch of them and we make ours finally um we were able to get out ahead you know Rutgers does have Miles Johnson, a, a big guy, I guess, right? But I don't think you heard too much from Miles Johnson last night, right? Because uh, we pretty much uh, ran around him. Uh, Luca Garza will be a, a challenge inside. And the thing with Iowa is that not only do they have a big guy who can score, but when you do double team him, which we will, um, he'll get uh, the ball back out to the three point shooters. And Iowa is a much better shooting team. So it's a very different challenge, I think. Um, 
and it, I'm not saying that we, we can't play with him again. If we play as good offensively and defensively, we'll just repeat that performance. It will be a close game, but it'll, it's hard to do that back-to-back, and Iowa's a much better team. So Yeah, we, we'll need Iowa to shoot like Iowa shot a year ago against yeah. us when we beat them. I mean, that's, that's fair to say. That's what we would need. Where Bohannon we... goes one of one of 12 or some crazy thing like that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And one thing we could control is is maybe not turning the ball over so much and maybe being better at the free throw line. I mean, yep. that's the thing. We, we still have lots of room to improve as a team. Oh, yeah. Even with that 20-point win against uh, Rutgers, I mean, we— 14 turnovers still, I believe. We have things that we can improve on, too. I don't know that equates to a win against Iowa, but— you know, like that's the kind of stuff you want to see now going forward is are we cleaning up ourselves and we'll see how that looks. One last thing with Banton, what do you see kind of going into the offseason with him? Does he stay at point guard? Can he maneuver around to other positions or, or what did he do differently? He played well uh, the other night. I've been critical of him at times, but he played well against Rutgers. So, I mean, what's his best role? He's obviously a talented dude. The guy, I, I think I saw that he was you know, rated 102nd for the pro draft. Nobody else on our team is right. is being rated that. So, you know, he's this talent, but yet we talk about fit. We talked about it with Allen. Where's the fit that Banton has in Hoiberg ball? Yeah, no, it's still uh, evolving there a little bit. Um, you know, his time has reduced a little bit, and he didn't start the last two games. It'll be interesting to see, you know, both of those were, were home starts, uh, and we started our seniors, right? Thor and Webster started those those games. I don't, he, that may still be the case on Thursday night in Iowa City. We'll, we'll find out. You know, he's been playing a little bit more off, off guard too. You know, Trey McGowan's has looked good in the point at times this year. And it'll be interesting to see if he wants to continue that. It seems like he, he wanted to play off ball more in this system and um, just kind of support the the point guard. But he, he's actually played a lot better in that spot than you'd expect. So I don't know. I mean, I think Banton needs to find a shot in the off season. If Banton could actually improve his shooting, then he's a far more dangerous player in whatever, if he's playing the one or the two, and that would change his game dramatically. He needs to be better with, with his turnovers, but he actually is a, a better passer than what I think you give him credit for. Uh, he makes some dumb mistakes, um, but he also makes some pretty wild passes at times. Uh, so, and that, and when you're a six foot eight guard, that's what you can do is you see things that a six foot two guard doesn't see. He made a couple passes last night while I was, I was like, okay, yeah. I see, I get it. I see it. If right. we get more of that, I get what people are saying. Hey, real quick guys. I just saw this post from Chris Baslinet and uh, Matt Abdelmassen, uh, was talking about high praise for Thor. He said, quote, He's going to be a special part of this program for as long as this program is around and as long as we're here. He's a foundational piece for what we want this program to become. Do we want to talk about that or does that make it sound like he might be coming back? You know my thoughts on that. I, I like personally what that sounds like. And Dave, to your point earlier in the year, maybe he wasn't doing some of the same things he's doing now. I guess I'd say that about everybody on the team, right? I, I just feel like guys mm-hmm. are finding their roles better now. This is the thing that, that kind of gives me that hope is that – you want examples of where you're at. Oklahoma State, Dave, what did you say? Last year they started like 0-9 in their conference. Was it yep, something like that's that? Right. And then they they turned it around. By the end of the year, they they won, they got a streak going. They won some games. And if we can start off next year with six, seven guys you've actually heard of <laughs> with with a with a group of guys that are that are joining them, that's a pretty good start compared to where we've been the last two years. 
No, absolutely. I agree, Hank. Uh, yeah, I think that that would be a really, really positive way to start next year and hopefully give all the fans um, some hope for what could be a, a really exciting 2021-2022 uh, basketball campaign. We're being too positive. Stop it, Dave. <laughs> and now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. All right, guys, let's talk football. And uh, we do a heck of a job talking football here in the Red Cast. But, uh, Honky, I think you've got a special guest next week with Brent Cianci of Pick 6 Previews, huh? Yeah, Mac. Uh, did you think when we started this show that we'd be talking with a Heisman voter and someone with the, the clout that Brett brings? It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That it's a, it's a it's a fun conversation every year. I look forward to it. Brett always brings the goods, man. He knows his stuff inside and out. And um, I I look forward to talking to him just about the kind of getting the pulse on what he thinks college football is going to look like next year. Mm-hmm. And for anyone that thinks that the Redcast is too sunshiny about things, you know, it's a nice thing about Brett too. He brings a a, a very national kind of uh, approach. He brings his game grader formula to it, and uh, he supports certain things and other things he'll shoot us down on. So it's it's kind of a fun conversation. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he's starting to work up um, for next year on what he thinks the Huskers are going to look like. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Speaking of looking towards next year, Honky, uh, you know, I was reading in Hell Varsity magazine, uh, which I, I have a subscription to the magazine. I also, also gets me uh, all the premium content on the website. Uh, any of the red casters want to uh, get all that great info from Greg Smith, Derek Peterson, and the like, you can go on to hellvarsity.com, enter Redcast in the monthly subscription promo and uh, get a little discount, and uh, we get a few bucks too. So uh, this article uh, talked about, it was actually using, um, I believe it was the SP and Plus, the ESPN Bill Connolly Index, and actually laid out a pretty positive picture for the Huskers next year. I think it was like a something around a you know seven, eight win season. Mac, did you see that? Yeah, I did, and I totally agreed. <laughs> Now, hockey thinks that's an under undershot, obviously, but <laughs> Well, right, yeah. I'm never gonna beat Honky's undefeated projection, but I liked I could see it happening that way. I absolutely yeah, yeah I loved it. I mean in the H O N K and E uh formula that I have, it's a twelve O <laughs> season most years, but uh I mean I you know, that Connolly guy he does okay too, I guess. Uh Boomer, I mean I it was interesting. Obviously, um those numbers can change as rosters evolve, getting closer to the the kickoff of the 2021 fall season. But it was interesting to see some of the uh, projected spreads. Um, for example, I think um, uh, Michigan. I think we were favored by one in in that. Um, I I think we were a heavy favorite over Northwestern. Um, interesting. Yeah, that was that was the one thing. You know, you question this. I think the betcast would take some. Some issue with uh, being like a 16 and a half point favorite with Illinois and uh, gosh, Northwestern was 17 and a half. I mean, when's the last time one of our games with Hydrox has been within, you know, single digits there pretty much all that way. So, but yep. it's fun. It's early. There's a lot of off season to go and we're such a down podcast here. Always, always hard <laughs> to negative. We just, we finally needed something positive to just kind of help us get through this off season. So those, those kind of things are fun. It does indicate how much Northwestern is losing, at least on paper, uh, from a production standpoint, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I think. And so, you know, it's way too early for those type of predictions, but I think it does um, 
give uh, a little bit of hope, and that's always something that we're looking for, that's for certain. Well, another great article on Hell Varsity Hockey uh, was Derek Peterson, who um, was pointing out uh, the second-year Huskers who make a big move in the spring. We are uh, getting closer and closer to spring ball here. Um, your thoughts on um, who could be making a big move in spring ball? Yeah, I mean, he did a nice job highlighting guys on each side of the, the ball, including special teams. That second year, you know, guys that have been redshirting or just getting through a full off season of, of lifting and everything, you know, to start to see how some of these guys can can, can perform kind of in year two. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter, Mac, with Sevion Morrison, how he looks. And I think sometimes, you know, there's these comparisons that he's a, a smaller back or whatever. And, and we were talking the other night and you see the photos – it's one thing not to, to buy too much into the hype of photos from a you know the weight room. We get it. Everyone lives across the country. But he doesn't look like Maurice Washington either. He doesn't look like Miles Jones as a running back. I mean, this he's got some size on him too. And and that's where I'm excited to see out of that running back room coming into spring ball, six guys that are on scholarship competing. And I think it's six guys that they, they've got Big Ten bodies. Yeah, I think it's in terms of like second year guys that could make a move, look no further than that guy. I mean, that that room is ripe for the taking. I don't care who the starting running back is, you're going to need depth there. He's put together. You know, he came out of high school, he's got all the accolades. He he broke Spencer Tillman's uh Oklahoma's high school rushing record. Mm-hmm. Um that kid that kid is poised to make a move and uh you're right, dude. You like you look at Maurice Washington. His freshman year, he came in skinny and and he was fast and, and flashy and explosive. And we were all very excited to see how he would look his sophomore year. And he came back skinny and he was flashy and excited, like he, he had zero weight, you know. But Sevion has put his time in. You know, I always relate everything to football and basketball the same thing because they're basically the same sport, right? Anyway, you know, like COVID hurt the basketball team. It definitely hurt the football team, too. You're talking about a freshman who didn't get the proper spring and fall ball that he would have needed, plus he got injured, plus he got COVID. Um, we never really saw what he was all about. Well, and Dave, one of the guys, I, he wasn't brought up in this particular article, I think, because that was more about f- freshmen specifically. But think of someone like uh, Omar Manning, who he's a second-year person, but he's you know coming from the JUCO ranks. He got here late last year, didn't have much of an offseason. And obviously, we all know about the struggles that he had last year and really didn't make it through many practices. Well, we're seeing, at least on Twitter right now, that he is working out with the team. He is getting healthy. He's going through all the workouts. And so come spring ball, I mean, imagine what a healthy Omar Manning could look like in that wide receiver's room. Uh, next to Torre, next to Betts coming back. I mean, there's some serious size there. That that could be a really interesting room to to be looking at. Yeah, a completely transformed room in that sense. I mean, so it'll be really inter- interesting to see if if Omar uh, can make make a mark here this spring. You know, uh, Boomer, just looking at uh, Derek Peterson, who we know listens to the Redcast. He's a, a friend of the Redcast. Uh, who you listed out? Will Nixon, Blaze Gunnerson, Daniel Cerny. Huh, interesting. What do you think about Daniel Cerny, our punter, potentially being a uh, second-year Husker who uh, makes a big mark this spring? He didn't even play last year due to injury, so you can almost really just consider him a first-year Husker. But uh, True. Yeah, we mentioned him before. We'll see what he can do, try to provide a spark, and maybe, like Peterson mentioned, he might have a leg for kickoffs, too, because that that's another avenue where we've talked ad nauseum, you know, that field position. Can you flip it? That makes a difference in games. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. So hopefully spring will get a chance and keep an eye on him. Yeah, absolutely. All right, good stuff, guys. 
Well, Honky, uh, do you want to talk recruiting first, or you want to go into Honky's transfer portal of the week? Well, let's do the transfer portal of the week. Uh, you know, get over that. Uh, this one, I w- want to give a thanks uh, for the assist to Coach Snyder out there on Twitter. He sent us a tweet that Minnesota wide receiver Seth Green has entered the transfer portal, thus proving the culture in row the boat land must be horrendous. <laughs> and uh, and I really do appreciate that. And Redcasters out there, if you see anybody you know moving around the transfer portal, f- feel free to DM us or text us or tweet or what email whatever. Um, because, yeah, I might miss some things, but it's just fun to hear players from other schools that are going into it, too. Because the whole entire point of Honky's Transfer Portal update each week is to continuously prove the point that this isn't just a Nebraska thing. There are you know, 1,600 or 2,000 or 1,200. I mean, I've heard so many different numbers, but there's a lot of guys in that portal. And as we talked about a week ago, 72% of them uh, haven't found places yet. And uh, this is going to be a weird year, and I think the fallout from the portal and for future years, it'll be interesting to see if, if players start to realize that there's sometimes the grass isn't always greener somewhere else, and and uh, maybe you stick around some places too, and you, you work that extra year and see if you can earn a spot someplace. Um, in addition to that, this was just another crazy one I saw. Titan Eric Gilbert is back on the market after announcing he is reentering the transfer portal on Sunday. Gilbert entered the transfer portal while enrolled at LSU and eventually chose Florida as his next destination on January 31st. Four weeks later, Gilbert took to Twitter to say he's backing off the decision and will now not enroll with the Gators. So, I mean, again, it just doesn't matter. I don't care if you're Florida, LSU, Alabama's had guys that we've talked about. Clemson's had guys. Notre Dame's had 13-some players. Northwestern wins the West, and they've had a number of dudes. I mean, it just doesn't matter. It is crazyville out there right now, but at least in terms of Huskerland, it's been pretty quiet now uh, since the semester started, and hopefully we don't hear a whole lot more until after spring ball, get through spring, and then I would imagine we'll have you know a next wave of some some guys moving around. But um, I like what we have on the roster right now for spring. We talked about that running backs room. I like six guys on scholarship all here. Go for it. I like all those wide receivers. They're all here. Go for it. Let's compete. Yeah, absolutely. Going forward with recruiting hockey, it does seem to be a bit of a, a slow start uh, to uh, recruiting here for the 2022 class. I mean, right now with the uh, dead period, um, right now extended to May 31st, and maybe it, now it, that could get extended even beyond that. Um, do you anticipate us to kind of continue having a slow start to this, this class until we can get kids on campus? Certainly could. I I think the one thing with the dead period, Mac, is that you know there are schools that are starting to take this into their own hands. I just saw West Virginia today; they're setting dates now in June because that's past the May thirty first deadline. They're just saying, "Screw it, we're going to start having kids on campus on June first. We're going to force the NCA to push it back and not allow us to do it." And West Virginia is not alone, and I don't blame them. At this point, this is getting to the point where these schools are like, "We need to get kids on campus." You can't afford to wait for those guys. They haven't shown any ability to make any decisions on this. They just keep kicking the can down the road, and and I don't even know what they're waiting for. Mm -hmm. I'm not hitting the panic button on this, but it is killing our our recruiting right now because the the thing that you can sell right now for these, these high school kids about Nebraska is the fan experience, the game day experience, what it's like to come to Lincoln and play. And that is the we can't we can't sell any of that right now. We can't sell winning because we haven't done it, you know. So it is really hurting our chances right now. So like this is 
I, I, we talk about it all the time winning's paramount, and it's still going to be paramount, and that might shift how the recruiting goes. But I don't expect our recruiting to pick up anytime soon until this stuff gets sorted out. We have to have guys be able to get on campus. Zoom calls aren't going to do it. Um, and it, 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 it's a legit problem, guys. It's mm-hmm. a legit thing that these coaches, I'm sure, are looking at every avenue they can to, to overcome this. I, I'm sure they're not just waiting for the NCAA to make a decision, but, but man, it is, it is slowing progress down. I wonder if, like, you know, obviously we'll have the spring game. And the spring game, we're anticipating that there will at least be some fans in there. We don't know what percentage. But if there's fans in the stands, but there's a dead period still going on, then obviously you're not bringing st- – you know, the students to see the game with fans in the stands. Well, fast forward past June 1st, I'm really interested to see if we do some kind of Friday night lights thing then this summer. You know, when when we get into the June and July period and we can bring fans into the stands and we can bring students onto campus. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine like a Friday night lights where we have like 15,000 fans there? Oh, I guarantee. Oh, yeah. You and I went to it that one year and there was like 7,000. Double that. I mean, people are going to want to get in there and see it. And and if especially if we know we have some huge you know group of, uh, of recruits in there, it would be great. I mean, Nebraska showing itself off at its finest. Yeah, you know, and I and I said, you know, it's killing us as a program, but it's not doing these kids any favors either. Yeah. You know, they're not getting to go around and look at these programs, which is essential. You're talking about a humongous life decision. You know, they're basing it off a Zoom call. They're basing it off a virtual meeting. That's really hard to do, and that's hard to expect these guys to get there and be happy. If the transfer portal's a problem, don't expect that to go away anytime soon because guys are going to get to campus and realize, I don't even like it here. You know, this doesn't fit me at all. You know, this isn't exactly what I thought it was on Zoom when they had the fisheye lens and everything looked huge <laughs> and everything looked, you know, when the perfect lighting and it was amazing, you know, and it, I didn't know that smell existed in this particular hallway. And like, it's just, it's not a fair thing to do. And, and I don't understand. I, I guess I understand a little bit, but. We're not helping these student athletes out either. It, it, it's it's a problem. It's a big problem. We need this. I'm happy to hear Johnson and Johnson rolling out a vaccine, man. Like the more the better. You know, we don't get into the politics of things, but even just today, the president said that they're moving up, they're fast tracking where they think everyone can have a vaccine by the end of May now. And you know, all those dates mean something. You know, they, it trickles down the line to every single thing we do, from fans in the stands to students on campus to you know everything. The quicker we can get that done, the quicker that all these other things can hopefully get going. I mean, the NCAA's got to take a leadership role in this, too, at some point. <laughs> they should call Kevin Warren. They should call talk to Kevin Warren and see how, he, how he'd handle how he, the situation. How he would, yeah. they, they, you know, there's there's people out there. That, are, <laughs> yeah. that was not a fake laugh, folks. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Hockey said that. Right. I'm like, that's hilarious. I, I couldn't even get it all the way out. I mean... <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, we are talking about uh, recruiting here, Hawk, and there has been a lot of talk about the uh, Omaha recruits, but there's a lot of other uh, in-state recruits um, that Nebraska probably has their eye on. You want to talk about those guys for a little bit? Sure. You know, we, we've mentioned from our own hometown, uh, linebacker Ernest Hausman. And uh, for those that you haven't seen it, uh, Mike Souter did a great video. It's out there on YouTube um, about uh, Hausman and just his story. I mean, I, I I briefly brought it up last week. You know, he's from Uganda originally, so it wasn't you know born in Nebraska, wasn't born in Columbus, and he came here oh at age six or seven or eight. And Mac, what did he 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 mentioned something about he had like a vaccine that he took that that gave him some issues. Where he wasn't able to walk or run at, at an early age, right? Yes, a non-COVID vaccine. I want to make that clear <laughs> yeah. first. But yeah, he he had had a bad reaction to it, and and, and gave him a. 
essentially a dead leg. On, I can't remember which side it was, but I mean, you're talking about a kid who had to relearn how to walk, you know, eventually run. And it was a weakened appendage and he got it stronger. And when you, when you listen to this kid talk, you realize that he's just all business, yep. man. He's, he's focused, he sets goals. And he was talking about, he's like, I set goals, but I never really, I never really achieve him. Cause once I get close, I, I reassess and I, and I create a new goal. So, you know, he's, he's serious. He, his, he wants to play in the NFL. Like he's he straight up said that. Now that's not groundbreaking. A lot of a lot of recruits want to play in the NFL. But... I don't know. A lot of guys from Columbus talk that way, though. That part's unique. <laughs> that's a fair point. Maybe a fullback, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> right. We'll get to that later. Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> he he's a guy that he's focused on his success, and he's he's laid the foundation to get there. I mean, obviously he's doing something right because Nebraska offered him real yeah. early, and I hope I hope we stay on this guy as much trouble as we're having in. Uh, in Swimtown out there, I think, um, you know, maybe it's time to hit that western part of the state, anything west of Lincoln, right? Yeah. It's the western part of the state. <laughs> so, so as soon as, you know, we really need to hit that and get some of those guys to come wear that in on the side of the helmet, man. I, um, especially with it, you know, with this dead period going for, you know, infinite long time, I, I don't know. We need to... We need to do what we can to get the local kids interested in buying into the program. Well, it, part of the the local kids there, you know, there's been, as Dave said, there's a lot of focus that's been put on Omaha, and this may not be the best Omaha year for us when it's all said and done. We've had some pretty decent Omaha years the last two or three under Frost, so for what that's worth, right? But if we look aside from Omaha, there's some really good players right here in the capital city, uh, Lincoln Southeast. Remember that pipeline that we used to get out of there, Eric Anderson and the Rudes and oh my God, every year it seemed like there was a kid coming from Lincoln Southeast. Well, right now they have three players in the 2022 and 2023 classes, uh, to be talking about, uh, in 2022, there's a two way standout, uh, Jake Applegate, six, four, 210 pound outside linebacker. And then the 2023, uh, class, they have a defensive standout, uh, Tidum Tuioti, that last name should sound familiar, certainly. Uh, Coach Tuioti's son, 6'3", 215, outside linebacker, Washington State, Utah State, Ole Miss, Boise, in addition to Nebraska offers. And then uh, an offensive lineman, uh, Gunnar Gotchula, 6'6", 255. He has an Iowa State offer right now, but Nebraska's on him too. So, again, there's players, for all the understandable reasons, the focus is on Omaha right now and those kids, but there's other kids still in state too that that aren't from there. And we've talked about the Pierce Titan that's already been offered too. So there's quality in this state. You have to go and find it and everything, but this staff's been building relationships. Even in the COVID world, they've been building relationships with staffs and uh, across the state, and they know who the, where the players are, and they're going after them. And, and I think we're still going to get our share. We'll miss a few here or there, but it's not because of a lack of effort and certainly not because we're not offering. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Hawk, um another angle on on this is um all of the uh, the kids now some of these are in state but some of them are also out of state um walk-ons that are uh legacy recruits, right? And we have um multiple ex-Huskers sending their sons uh to play for Scott Frost. Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of it's a feel-good story because it's it harkens back to the days of the 90s. But it's also – it kind of doubles with what I've been talking about on the transfer portal update where we have a couple guys going to the transfer portal and, you know, everything's crashing down, right? I mean, the culture here is bad. That's that's what we all hear. I mean, how do we lose all these guys? And then you go and you, you read an article like this and we have five different players that played back in that era kind of when Frost was here that all their sons are coming here. 
And that's Grant Lord, Jason's son, Michael Booker III, Michael Booker's <laughs> Junior's son, Sam Hodgkinson, Matt's son, uh, Derek Branch, Troy's son, Matthew Schuster. We're going to talk about fullbacks in a little bit. Uh, Brian Schuster, fullback uh, from the starting fullback in 96, his son. And they all, you know, have their kids coming here. I mean, for, for having this bad culture that we hear about, there's support still. And, and listen to this from Michael Booker, you know, first-round draft pick back in 96. And uh, he said he talked with Frost, and, and he delivered a good-natured jab at him. He goes, when are the Huskers coming back? And he goes, he gave me a stern answer like, this is our year, Booker said. I was like, good, because my son is coming. Frost has confidence in the team, and we have confidence in him. We're going to go to war with Frost. So, you know, that's kind of a neat insight into a former player, former player who's a dad of a going to be a, a current player. And, uh, you know, they sound like they're they're all in still, right? You know, so the, it's not people jumping ship and everything. And, again, I know we're just spewing positivity, Dave. I, I need to stop it. <laughs> I need to stop it. I'm, I'm, I'm drinking too much Kool-Aid and all that good stuff. But, uh, I mean, I like reading that right now. I guess it makes me feel pretty good. Yeah. It's at least nice to have a counterpoint out there for all the negativity about culture and, and missing out on these Omaha guys and this year is going to be a problem. You know, they act like it drives me crazy because I feel like – the media will drum up a narrative and then hammer it when the fans about it. It's like, we have done okay in recruiting in Omaha area. Xavier Betts is a pretty good recruit from what I could tell. I think he was the top recruit in Nebraska that year. Henrik was a good recruit. And, and and so on and so forth. We've lost a few, sure. But it's not like it's been a systemic problem since Frost has got here. And Honky, you said all along... I just want to see us recruit these guys yep. and give them the opportunity to come play here. That's what we're doing. Guys are allowed to go someplace else. No one's saying yep. they can't. And to make that something about how Frost isn't handling this right, I just think that's a, I think that's some sort of straw man argument to, to be mad about the program. And that's not what the Redcast is about. I'm not buying <laughs> it. And like, I just, you know, come here if you want to. We'll love you if you do. And, I, and I'll sort of root for you if you don't. Sort of. <laughs> not really. That's not even true. I won't root for you if you don't. But I will say this. In the transfer portal era, it's probably a good idea to keep good contact with these guys because there's a good chance some of these guys are going to come back. Yeah, or at least not stay wherever they're going to. That's just that's the nature of college football, period. And, you know, when you think about Omaha, there was a bad stretch with us not getting Omaha kids. And that was from about – I think it was the year that we got like DJ Jones and maybe Niles Paul was in that class. We're talking somewhere in the 07, 08 range, something like that. And there's about a seven- to eight-year range between that and then getting Deshaun Neal, I think it was, and Ducker, if I remember right. Oh, yeah. But that was like seven or eight years. We didn't we didn't sniff Omaha for that long, and it wasn't just because there weren't players coming out. There were players going to other schools. And my goodness, you you mentioned it with bets. There, look at this last class. We got the best player out of the state of Nebraska by a lot of uh, rankings. Uh, Prochaska from the Omaha Metro. We got the best player from the state of Iowa from the Omaha Metro. Fedoni. I mean, you know, and, and other players in between Rollins and and Bretts and and everything. So. They've been going after kids from there. It's not just that we're going after these kids. Betts is playing. Henrik yeah. is playing. You know, uh, Reimer is playing. It's not that we're just Hickman recruiting them and they're just – exactly. Hickman's playing. You know, they, they're not just like recruited and then they go away and you never hear from them. These guys are getting on the field and they're contributing and they will be part of our success going forward. So it's it's not just that we're recruiting them because of Nebraska guys. We're recruiting them and they're playing and they're contributing. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that will start to trickle down into the metro and, and these guys will start coming here. But 
I'm not going to blame the coaching staff when kids decide to go someplace else. That's completely completely within their right to go someplace else. You know, speaking of, of homers, you know, we, we might get accused of having scarlet colored <laughs> glasses on occasionally, but, you know, Steve Sipple does uh, get uh, accused of that as, as well. And I, I was listening to him a week or two ago and, and he was ba- uh, pushing back on this narrative because he was just like, I mean, like essentially talking to to the media as the media. And he's like, you guys are always <laughs> just trying to drive this narrative. And he's like, it's ridiculous. Right. So I, I appreciate Sip trying to bring some sense to it. Whereas other guys, I mean, Mitch Sherman on, on the athletic had an article about the two Omaha recruits. And it was just like, he, he barely even tries to be balanced about um, what this is. Right. You know, I mean, so it is, it is a, a, a challenge. And I, th- I think we need to continue to, bring a, a a more rounded perspective to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of simple honk, he had this really good article about the Letterman's organization that uh, Bill Moose is helping, I think, kind of come about um, it, with uh, George Acola, uh, a former Nebraska running back, kind of leading the charge. You know, what can you tell us about that? I think it's just a good idea, period. At Nebraska, we respect our history so much. We talk about it so much. You know, we get made fun of from other fan bases because we they think we live in that history. But at the very least, it's important to us. And so here to bring a group, and we didn't have one before, and, and other universities have had this, so I guess it's a little weird that we didn't. But we have this group now of, of former lettermen, football lettermen, that can get together, and it can be a networking group for themselves. So just internally, they have – police officers and lawyers and doctors and everything in it. So when one of our current insurance salesmen, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> Podcasters, everything, right? And so when right. a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a current player graduates, they'll go graduate and become part of a group that, you know, can have people that are in the similar uh, you know, fields of work that they're in. And that's a good thing. But aside from that, here's a way that the athletic department can have a connection to those players and have this be a, a more of a positive kind of voice supporting the program. I think that's a, a great thing. In fact, athletic director Bill Moose made a point to them to say, I'll be the contact with you. I'm not just going to hand this off to some subordinate to be the liaison. I want to be that liaison directly with you. That's how important it is. We, we all remember when Frost, the day he was hired and he came into the, the North Stadium and there was – you know, 200 former players there to clap and welcome them in. And what a special moment that was. That's Husker football, right? I mean, that's our history. If we don't have that, I mean, my goodness, we're certainly not selling the wins, as Max said. So I, I'm excited to see that. It seems like it was long overdue, and it seems like a really good move by Moose and the athletic department to get that thing set up. Hey, Boomer, uh, just historically speaking, it, it seems odd that this type of organization didn't already exist, right? Yeah, Honky mentioned that. That did kind of surprise me, too. I, I would have just assumed that we'd always had one, and that's why I was kind of surprised reading the article that this thing hadn't existed, at least in a current form of any sort. I, I should go back and try to dig in and see if there was such a thing decades or a century or so ago, and if it just kind of drifted away, I'd be curious to know if there ever was sort of organization of that sort. But uh, yeah, it certainly seems like a perfect fit for Nebraska and why it wasn't instituted sooner? I guess we'll never know. But I'm sure, you know, guys like Eichhorst and Peterson were had their pulse on the finger of Husker Nation and really probably considered it, but, uh, well, who knows? It's very true. Well, speaking of the uh, the pulse of Husker Nation, I think Honky always has a, a good feel about what Husker fans and Red Cashers want to talk about, and that's usually fullbacks. Right, Honk? That's right. Uh, we hear about it every day on social media. 
talk about some fullbacks. So (laughs) this is the night of it. As you know, we are doing a series now of top five greatest at each position. And two weeks ago was quarterback. Last week was was running back. And this week we're going to do fullbacks. And so kind of how we're going to do this each week is I'll bring my list of five to get the conversation started. And then we can kind of go around the room, debate some guys, and we'll finish up with the top five. We're not going to order them one through five, but we'll just come up with that list of five. So here's Honky's list of the top five fullbacks in Nebraska football history. Joel McAvicka, Tom Rathman, Corey Schlesinger, Bill Olds, and Mark Shalene. Uh, as I read that off there, I'll start with you, Dave. I think as I did last week, um, anybody jump off the page, is, it's a no-brainer. You're definitely going to keep those guys on it. And is there anyone that's that I missed that you're like, I, I think we need to be talking about this guy? Well, as a proud Columbus discoverer, obviously, <laughs> I think Corey Schlesinger is a no-brainer. Um, it's really a non-negotiable, as you'd like to say. Sure. Um, so that's an easy one for me. Um, and hey, I mean, he did score two touchdowns for, uh, TO's first national championship. So it's pretty easy, I think, for most people. Uh, with, with the Makovicas, remind me, I always get Jeff and Joel mixed up a little bit. Which one came first and who had the bigger stats? Yeah. So Jeff Makovica was the older of the two. He would have started in 95. Jeff was number 22. Joel was 45. Yeah. Okay. And then Joel started in 97 and in 98 and had the bigger stats, uh, went on to the pros, played for the, I think it was the Cardinals. And so Joel was the one that I have listed, not Jeff. Boomer, I don't know. Do you know much about uh, Bill Olds, for example? It's going back to the 70-71 title teams. Is that right, huh? Yes. He was the starting fullback from 70-72. He ended up with 953 rushing yards over his career. He had three touchdowns. He was also a bit of a receiving threat, especially at that time. Uh, he ended up with 18 catches and had a couple of touchdowns through the air. Go back to you know that era. That's uh, something that was a little unique there. And again, he brings the titles with it. I always remember him uh, it, pregame of the uh, game of the century. If you've ever watched that, you see the players come running out and they're always like holding their helmet and, you know, they, they run up to the camera and they stop for a second and then they dash off. And I always remember Bill's running out there. It's right in front of, uh, Jeff Kinney doing it. So those are the memories that, you know, look, we're going to throw guys in there from great years. Mark Shaleen, I throw in, he's the 1983, uh, fullback, you know, so he's right in front of, of Rozier and, and right behind Turner Gill, you know, so, it's not shocking that you know guys that are in, in those eras are going to at least make it in the discussion on these lists. Boomer, I would imagine that uh, Bill Olds had a great nickname like Cadillac Olds or something like that, <laughs> right? Is there anybody else in the uh, annals of Husker history that you want to bring up as a potential candidate to be a top five fullback? I did, and you know, I gave this some thought, and uh, you know, I thought about Sam Francis. You know, it was an obvious pick. Finished second place in the was the second Heisman. I think the first time it was actually called the Heisman Trophy. I can't remember what it was the prior year, but it was the second year. Finished second in 1936. that. 1936. Um, but the more I thought about it, I kind of went off on some of the the topics that that we hit on about how generating wins and just doing as much as you can. And I went back to a name that kind of came up uh, on our previous discussion on backs, and I'm I opted for George Sauer. 
Uh, three-time letter winner from uh, 1931 to the 1933 on the uh, underappreciated uh, Dana and Xenophon Bible squads back then. <laughs> I always wonder what that X was for. Yeah, those teams went uh, 23-4-1 and that he was on. Uh, the 1933 team uh, finished with only one loss, and that was to undefeated Pittsburgh, and only lost by six. And they've done some like retroactive rankings of the of that year, and Nebraska would have finished fourth by you know quite a few measures of that year. So it was a quality team. And uh, this was technically pre-era of, you know, official stats for Nebraska. But if you go back and look at the stats we do have, uh, they credit George Sauer with uh, 1,570 rushing yards over his uh, career here. That's as a fullback. Granted, it was a little different then. And not only that, he also was a passing threat. He threw for over 700 yards passing and several touchdowns in a game. He also was the punter and was credited for quite a few punting yards, including uh, in the last game of his career, flipped the field with an over 80-yard punt against Oregon State, which totally changed the tenor of that game and led to a win. And <laughs> wow. he did some uh, he did some place kicking as well. He did a couple of drop kicks for at least one field goal that I was able to, to score. And he would have played defense as well. So if you can find any modern fullback that was that versatile... <laughs> and did that much for a team, I'd be hard-pressed to find one. I mean, if you look at just those rushing numbers, he's above names like Tom Rathman, Joel Makovica, Frank Solich, Damon Benning, a certain guy named Scott Frost. I mean, that's <laughs> and that's only a nine-game seasons, too, we have to remember. So he didn't have much time to, to put out those kind of numbers. And I think it'd be hard to say he's not one of our top five fullbacks of all time, humdinger or not. My dad used to drop kick with cowboy boots on it. I'd never seen such a thing, but he could really wail on that thing. That's impressive. <laughs> I wish that would come back. It's, it's so fantastic, the drop kick. You know, what do we have to lose on special teams, Boom? <laughs> Mac, how about you? Is there any guy that, you know, Boomer brought up Frank Solich there uh, in passing? And, I mean, I know there's other guys that, that uh, you know, we haven't hit on yet. You know, anybody, any more modern guys that you would think? I'm totally okay with your your top three on that list in, in no particular order. Obviously, I'm with Dave on the on the Corey Schlesinger pick. And Joel Makovica, not only did he uh, did he do a great job on the field, but he's also helping people with their chiropractic needs off the field. And <laughs> I always thought it was a really cool story. You know, the year after we played Tennessee there uh, in 97, their fullback the next year were 45, and they called him Mac, Little Makovica because wow. it was such an homage to how bad he – he just smacked those Tennessee linebackers around. So um, I love the I love the top three. You know, after that, you you know, you're kind of getting the nitty gritty of it. You know, um, Steve Crewall, Judd Davies. I loved Willie Miller back in the day. Um, he was kind of same time around that D'Angelo Evans era. And uh, you know, Willie Miller's a great follow on Twitter. He's he's really had a great turnaround in his life. He's a great story to follow. Mm-hmm. He's he's you know getting his nursing degree from Creighton, so that's cool to see. Uh, I, I have no argument with with Frank Solich, and I don't know any of the guys yeah. at Boomer's. But Willie Miller had <laughs> it's funny the fullback position because it's so rarely used. Uh, you you remember specific things from each of these guys. I, I'll always remember with Willie Miller, he had like a fifty yard run against Oklahoma out of our end zone in the game where we got up on them 14 nothing. I think it was the 2000 season, and we get up on them 14 nothing. We look like we're going to cream them, and then Oklahoma just turned around and just destroyed us, and that was their national championship year, year two of uh, Stoops. Um, Steve Crewald, I remember, again, Oklahoma, it was like the one time we handed off to a fullback in the entire uh, Callahan era, and it was when we were down 31 nothing. I think, at the end of the 04 season. I think that was the game. And we handed off to him with like 
10 seconds left and he goes for like 50 yards and we get in the field goal range so we can kick a field goal with like one second left. (laughs) You you remember certain things like that. Jeff McAvicka, the older one, I remember it was like play two or three or four of the Florida bowl game, the Fiesta Bowl. And it was like a pitch to the right and he has Phillips following him and he just leads through the, the hole and just takes an outside linebacker and takes him 10 yards. I mean, it is Husker football to a T. And that's what I, I just I love about this position. You know, Corey Schlesinger and Rathman and McAvicka, Joel, they seem like obvious ones. They kind of seem like you got to have those three in there. Someone we haven't brought up is Andy Janovich. You know, very I was great. literally thinking about that while you were talking. I was like, and I can't believe Dave I mean, being a Denver guy and all that. <laughs> He left us, so you know. I, yeah. Well, yeah, now he's a Cleveland Brown. But um, again, there's there's arguments there. I you know, Solich had some incredible stats too at times. I mean, I think he ran for over 200 yards in a game against Air Force. Yeah. And right. again, this is more modern era. Any anytime you're getting into the Devaney era and, and later, the, some of those stats. I mean, Boomer produces some stats from guys from from days gone by, but sometimes it's hard to correlate sometimes with how those stats relate to today. Cause are they playing the same type of position or are they, you know, to boomers point, I mean, they're throwing footballs, they're, they're playing defense, they're kicking you know, special teams too, which is very impressive, but it's also hard to make a comparison between what they're doing and what, you know, Tom Rathman or Andy Janovich are doing, which was basically the same thing. Yeah. The more neck rolls you can have on a football team, the better. <laughs> you know, any, any, anytime you get somebody with like a cowboy collar or a big fat thick neck roll, it just it just shows the other team you mean business. <laughs> you know, one guy, and again, this isn't to a debate. Tom Rathman's going to be on the list, but sometimes what gets lost is what he did do in college because he had such a long and successful career in the pros. But he had fourteen hundred and twenty five rushing yards. Uh, played from eighty one to eighty five here. Um, had twelve touchdown rushes. Think about this, Dave. He only had five catches at Nebraska. Wow. Five. And this was a guy, you know, in the the West Coast offense, Bill Walsh talked about how, you know, he was a key cog to make it work. And <laughs> I look at that stat, I'm like, what did they see out of him coming out of Nebraska that would have made him be the, the all-around player that he ended up being in the pros? Because you don't see it from those stats necessarily. No, you sure don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the, you know, 49ers of the 80s always seem to make every right move. And there was another one right there, mm-hmm. that's for certain. Well, I think we're all kind of in agreement with Joel McAvicka, Tom Rathman, and Corey Schlesinger. So it's really those other two. I said Bill Olds, which is the 1971 era, and Mark Shaleen, 1983. Um, but we brought up a number of other guys. Is there somebody that, out of the rest of the list, I'll start with you, Dave. Is there someone that you're feeling like we really need to get him onto it? Yeah, no, the name that comes to me would be Andy Janovich, probably to Max Point. I mean, but maybe you know that's because he's had some success in, in the NFL as well. But he did have uh, some a couple of big runs. It was in the Riley era, but he did kind of bring back the fullback for a little bit, and that was one of the highlights of of that time period. Mm-hmm. Truly, truly, it was one of the highlights of that period. Mac, is there someone that you are looking at off of that list that you think should be on that top five? I'd probably double down with Dave on 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 Janovich, man. That guy was, you know, and, and the other thing about him is he's just so purely a Nebraskan. You know, there's stories about him just pulling off the road. I think he, he hit a, a raccoon with a bat or something <laughs> like that because he was going to take it home and skin it. And, you know, he's still driving that old beat-up truck to practice. I mean, everything about that guy just screams Nebraska. He, you know, he so he was so good at fullback that he started a running back one game for us. So mm-hmm. I, 
I, I, I really, I really think, you know, in a different era, that guy would have shined at, at the fullback position. So, and I, I wouldn't even call it recency bias because the fullback is kind of a, a bygone position for us at this point. So yeah, just a, yeah, Janovich. So me. I'll throw one other guy out there, Frank Solich. I'll let the hum, the historical humdinger take that one. Frank, I'd still put sour in above a lot of these guys. I mean, Honky has said it, you know, how do you compare some of this stuff? Well, do I give you rushing errors? He outrushed most of these guys. I mean, and that's not counting everything else he did. Solich, yeah, he's got the, you know, single game record that he had for a while. So that, it, you know, that is something. And, it, and it, again, it's hard to compare these things to some degree, like you said, just mm-hmm. size differences and styles and everything. It's just, were they going to translate well to the to the game nowadays? You know, probably not. So is it fair to say that? I think, uh, gosh, what was Sauer? I think he was 6'2", 195 pounds. I, I, something like that is what they what they listed mm-hmm. him at. So, <laughs> you know, and so let you, you know, smaller guy too. Kind of. <laughs> but I put him in his top five fullback of all time. I don't know. That's, that's, that's tricky. I, yeah. And Sam Francis, you mentioned earlier too. I mean, yeah. I know he's not going to be your home dinger, but Sam Francis was, you know, just inducted the other year into the Oscar Hall of Fame and everything. I mean, this was, he's an all time great as well. Anyone that's looking at our graphics that designer Swobes is creating for us, he's putting a, a boomer's uh, humdinger historical selection on, you know, so really it's always going to end up having six guys on it because we always want to, we appreciate what boomer brings. Anyone that listened last week, with the Johnny Bender story, we appreciate what Boomer brings. It's just so hard to translate sometimes what somebody did in 1910 to what's going on. That's why we we don't want to discount it, but we also don't always know how to incorporate it. So, so how do, how, how are we settling on this? Fellas? Well, I think we're settling on Joel Makovica, check Tom Rathman, Corey Schlesinger, Andy Janovich, okay, and. Number five. If I was picking between Bill Olds and Mark Shaleen, I'm going to go Bill Olds. Bill Olds it is. Bill Olds. <laughs> I think that was... Cadillac Olds. <laughs> I think that's Dave's way of saying we figured it out. Honky, get us out of this, right? So, all right. Well, there's our top five fullbacks of all time. Joel McAvicka, Tom Rathman, Corey Schlesinger, Bill Olds, and Andy Janovich. No particular order. And uh, moving forward to next week, uh, this should be an interesting one. We're going to do wide receivers. And so uh, we'll do wide receivers after that, tight ends, and then O-line. That is going to be nearly impossible, I think, to try to you know, get that down to just five. But, that hey, that's that's what comes with being a blue blow. We've got a lot of great players out there. They've done a lot of great things. And so this is a fun thing to do during the offseason, and uh, I hope you're enjoying it, Redcasters. With the wide receivers coming up next, I presume you'll have Redcast Rob on to promote Omar Manning's inclusion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that won't that won't happen. Not not the Omar Manning piece, the Rob on the show thing. That's not going to happen. So, <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, well, let's get out of here with some parting shots. Uh, Honky, you want to start us? Yep, got a few things as usual. North Dakota State's thirty nine game winning streak is officially over. Southern Illinois beat the the top ranked Bison thirty eight to fourteen. Paper Stadiums. We did an interview with Trey back in January. He's taking off a couple of weeks for a well-deserved rest, but uh, he's doing this cool play on March Madness with Paper Madness, a tournament to determine uh, his followers' favorite paper stadiums that he's created. So it's kind of cool. He's got these brackets and everything. Uh, check it out on his social media channels at Paper Stadiums. On the wrestling front, half of the top 20 in college wrestling comes from the Big Ten, including the top three, number one, Iowa, number two, Penn State, 
And yes, number three, Nebraska. I guess what the SEC people would chant, you know, so it's Big Ten, Big Ten. Great, you know, you know we're doing awesome there. And last but not least, uh, congratulations to our Husker softball coach, Rhonda Ravel. She collected her 1,000th win at Nebraska uh, with a win over Michigan State last week. So congratulations. Awesome. Good stuff. Hockey, do you think Nebraska has a chance to win a national championship in wrestling? Um, I watched one wrestling match, or two, I guess. I watched this uh, go against Minnesota, but I also watched this go against Iowa. And uh, that, I think we could be a really, really, really good wrestling team, but Iowa was really, really good. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> Mac, what do you got for me? You know, I've done standbys at wrestling matches. Uh, I, don't, I don't get what's going on. Yeah, I don't <laughs> understand the scoring at all. <laughs> they award points. Don't know what happened. <laughs> I, I watch them. All of a sudden, some guy throws a hand up. Nothing happened. Anyway, um, so um, today is uh, is my son Sullivan's ninth birthday. And so I was trying to uh, – happy birthday, Sully. Yep. And I was trying to uh, figure out what to get him. For his birthday. And one of the things I found on the internet that I thought, man, maybe I should do this. I stumbled across this website called the Throw God uh, <laughs> website. And, uh, you know, I, Redcaster's out there. You'll remember Harrison Beck. And he is just an internet treasure. His self-proclaimed starting quarterback <laughs> of the internet. Uh, he goes out and he has lessons. Check this out. You can get an hour and 30-minute uh, video lesson. <laughs> And a book, and a book for a hundred bucks from Harrison Beck, who is willing to shirtlessly show you how to throw bombs. I don't think he's anything more than just throw it long and throw it hard. And if that's not enough, you can get merchandise from this cat that says things not just throw God, but a but a compression sleeve that says power stroke, and another T-shirt that says genetically perfect and genetically is spelled wrong which is hilarious <laughs> you know and somehow sometime some way we got to get harrison back on this show because he is the internet's most perfect troll and i i just love everything about him um so yeah if you're looking for a like a hard to buy for present for a guy or, or even a girl out there check out the throw god you, you could do worse uh, all right boomer get us out of here yeah, this went off the rails quick there. I think uh, once Harrison Beck got reintroduced to the whole the whole thing, yeah, um, yeah, with North Dakota State's loss, I just want to remind everyone that opens up uh, SES to Holy Cross football, who's kicking off here in a couple of weeks. Not this weekend, but next against uh, Lehigh. So go Crusaders there. They're my pick for the FCS. And uh, just finally excited that uh, this is the first weekend of uh, Nebraska baseball that I think the Big Ten finally put out their schedule five hours before we <laughs> went to podcast here, and at least we get to play a little bit. Uh, it's on some random thing you can get from Big Ten Network, probably buried deep in the internet and something Thrill God has in one of his streams, I imagine, but uh, you'll have to subscribe there. And uh, just kind of ironic that... Normally, we'd probably be uh, playing baseball here at home, and we finally have really nice weather, and we don't get to do it right away. So that's just uh, current sports in a nutshell, folks. But we're glad to see it back, and go Huskers. Well, it's, Lincoln is the San Diego of the Big Ten footprint. Um, if they could only just come to realize that, we'd be so much better off. Uh, but, yeah, the Huskers are down in Round Rock, Texas, I believe, uh, this weekend to kick off the uh, the baseball season. All right, guys, uh, great show as always. Uh, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. Here we are.
Ahura Media Production.